0: Rich Bolus here. A big thank you for downloading the Dad Mindset podcast, where we explore different perspectives on fatherhood. This episode, I chat with Brendan Donahue. Brendan is a secondary school teacher and father of two young boys. He has some fascinating stories to share, from dodging buffaloes while cycling across Asia with his father, to the benefits of teaching beekeeping to 16 and 17-year-old kids. I hope you enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Brendan. Brendan Donahue, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: No, it's great. So uh, it was uh, an interesting meeting, wasn't it? A few weeks ago, where were we when we met?
1: It was we were in the um, uh, we're in the Botanic Gardens of of the lovely little village town of Coroit in southwest Victoria, which was and it was a beautiful day. It was a bit chilly in the morning, but Jesus, the sun came out and um, and we did we even go for a spin on those bikes? I yeah. don't think we did. did well, we? The, but, the kids did. The kids did, there's that's a, there's right. There's <laughs> a big
0: queue, so I, I felt it was a bit rude to sort of push the other kids out of the way.
1: Yeah. No, we, we should have. We should, we'll should. we we'll have to do that next time. But um, yeah, no, we're in the gardens. Uh, I was there as part of a project um, that we chatted about on the day called Cycling Without Age. And uh, we were just there at the um, Replenish Our Planet Festival, which was the first first one that had been run. So it's so a really great, great day and lots of great people like yourself. <laughs> we are uh, that we we got to chat with and and um yeah it was a fantastic day
0: yeah and because you mentioned while while we were waiting in the queue uh, that you're actually a teacher at one of the local schools in Port Ferry
1: yeah oh it's in Warrnambool Warrnambool sorry yeah Warrnambool where was, I'm teaching but yeah living in Port Ferry just down the road a bit further and um yeah one of the secondary schools um in in Warrnambool there Emmanuel College and I run uh a VCAL program which is a Victorian Certificate of Applied Learning for senior students in years 11 and 12. So our students there are um, predominantly at school for three and a half days a week, most of them, uh, in the program that I run and the day a week they spend in a work placement where they're learning on the job and spend half a day at TAFE doing training as well.
0: Great. And what would be the typical trades that they're working towards?
1: Oh, There's all sorts of stuff. So we've had um, – Engineering students, so from fabrication engineering to the students in equine studies and um, all the trades like plumbing and electrical and builders, um, hospitality students, community services students, um, and retail cosmetics and beauty therapy, all that sort of stuff. So, quite a broad spectrum of, of interest areas. Yeah, it's huge. <laughs>
0: That's a, a big spread. Yeah. And uh, you have two children yourself, don't you?
1: Yeah, I do. Two boys um geordie and julian um, geordie's what? eldest he's seven and julian
0: four gotcha and you how long have you actually lived down in that neck of the woods
1: um close to 10 years now so i'm originally from melbourne from the outer suburbs of melbourne and um yeah we moved down here in in about in middle of 2010 so my wife's an osteopath and in Warrnambool, and uh it was fortunate her, her we were looking to to move out of the city for a bit or i was really i guess and it <laughs> A gig came up for her, which was which was pretty fortunate. Um, and both being in health and education, that sort of allowed us that flexibility to move, I guess. And we thought we'd try it, and see how see how it went. Country living, and by the I'd always wanted to be by the coast, and um, yeah, and it's it's been a really really wonderful move in the end. So we're still here ten years later.
0: That's a that's a great outcome.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. We're well, we're pretty happy with the decision.
0: Yeah, and but you you obviously um spent a lot of time in the city.
1: Yes. Early yeah, days. well I mean I grew up I grew up where I grew up in Melbourne. It's um, Melbourne can be lots of things for lots of people, I think, you know, you could grow up Bayside or uh, in the burbs and that sort of thing. And I grew up sort of in that green wedge of Melbourne out near Hurstbridge. So very much sort of a bit of a free roaming childhood, running through paddocks and riding bikes all around the place and all that sort of jazz. So but my schooling in high school was, you know, a forty minute train ride away in Watsonia. So that was sort of our our proper introduction to urban life um into sort of that this the bit more of that um uh, urban urban development area I guess into um into Watsonia and greensboro and bundura that sort of space so
0: yeah and what was it that your family did
1: so mum my mum was a teacher um she's now retired and dad's retired too he's a civil engineer so mum mum was an english teacher um but um but also a talented artist, which I think she put on hold while we were kids, really, because she's now ventured back into that. So I'm wondering, yeah, maybe she should have been an art teacher because I think she she's got a fair talent there. I'll give her a, a, a spruik. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Brilliant. So, what what going, sort of what sort of medium did she enjoy oh, using? She's
1: a bit of everything, actually. Because you're down the coast, aren't you? Go to areas. Go and uh, she's had stuff in the in the gallery at Aries Inlet there, so you can see some of the stuff there. So, um, yeah, she's uh, does lots of pastel work and landscapes and. Um, mixed media stuff and um yeah all sorts of things really watercolors and so she's she wouldn't say that she's anything great or speak talk her art up but i think she's she's um she's pretty good what she does yeah
0: oh, fantastic and um so obviously you your boys see a lot of that uh, are they inspired when they go to visit gran
1: yeah they so going to grandma and grandpa's is always good fun there's lots of art and craft it goes on i guess and um they love their drawing my wife's a, a uh, pretty that I think one of her major major skills is getting the kids stoked on into all sorts of art and craft craziness I sometimes come home from my day at school and uh, you can see there's just remnants of everything covered in all over the living room you know from, from the days of art, art and craft activities so yeah they, they're pretty keen on their art too
0: yeah oh brilliant yeah it's a, it's a good look isn't it when there's like just paper cuttings and crayons everywhere
1: yeah, there's been like, yeah, exactly. And there's been a bit of um, Christmas decorating going on at the moment, like homemade Christmas decorations and all that sort of jazz, which is pretty cool. Oh, they're so. the best. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, fantastic. And so just going back to you, you, what your parents, so what was it your dad actually did? Because he was a, yes. an engineer, wasn't
1: he? Yeah, so civil engineer. Um, he worked for a Telecom back in the day when it was still Telecom before it became Telstra. Um, and he sort of worked around, um, from, from what I know and my memories, um, looking at designs and putting up towers, mobile towers, um, which meant he got to travel a little bit too, up to the Northern parts of the country in some pretty remote areas and beautiful parts of the world. So they took us as a result of that, I think it was that that inspired him, um, and watching endless shows of Jack Absalom touring around the countryside if that name means anything to you i don't no, know i was just
0: running with <laughs> you you're gonna say bush tucker man but <laughs> yeah well, same era, same gotcha okay yeah i totally uh no less hidden he's one of my heroes
1: yeah yeah yeah. so um and so we they took us traveling around australia when we were kids in 1988 so packed us all up and put us in a camper van travelled around for six months so and then that was in between dad's job so when we got back he he then got a job with a with a railway so he was um, worked in the civil maintenance area, managing, managing a whole lot of trades and stuff like that for, for the Melbourne, Melbourne network. And then worked on, um, bid teams for when it was privatized in, in Melbourne and went on to work for himself and set up a business that was sort of a, a bit of an accidental business in terms of the, the growth of that business. So I don't think he really ever intended to be a businessman, but, um, he was pretty good at it and he was good at getting a good team of people together and, um, and, and, um, yeah, doing some pretty cool work around that too so i ended up working with him on and off doing some stuff in that space too over time so yeah
0: yeah and one of the stories you told me um i desperately want to go back to the uh, six month tour around australia don't worry about that but okay um, <laughs> you, you said you're in a, a band playing a gig but you're working yeah. for you at the same time so what happened there
1: uh yeah that was you know that you do these things like so part of my musical journey i guess in career as a musician in my twenties, I was playing with a band by the name of Symbiosis. Um, some awesome blokes. Um, I got to spend several years with doing all sorts of stuff, recording albums, and playing big gigs and touring around. And but at the same time, still trying to earn a dollar and do all that. So um, I think we we're in Coffs Harbour, having played a gig at a place called the Hoimoe, and uh, I had to go looking next that our payroll tax was due for the company. So while some of the other guys were having a sleep in or get going for a surf, I was. Wandering around looking for Wi-Fi in Coffs Harbour so I could lodge the the company's payroll tax with <laughs> <laughs> the old laptop. So um, yeah, that was it. Was always interesting trying to blend those two worlds. I think yeah,
0: that definitely sounds like two very different worlds clashing.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was. Yeah. <laughs> now
0: back to the trip around Australia because um, we've had a couple of parents on the show that talked about travelling around Australia, but I've never heard it from a child's perspective. So what do you remember about that trip yourself?
1: Yeah, um, it was incredible. Like I was—I would have been about grade four, so I must have been about nine at the time. So uh, sometimes I think at that age, memories are sort of sometimes a blend of what you remember and and just the reliving of all the anecdotes and the stories, which my family does a lot. They like to sort of talk about remember when we did this and remember when yeah. we did that. Um, so that, that was pretty cool. But it was, I think, um, yeah, it was definitely adventurous, like the – it was more of an adventure than a holiday, I think, um, from my memories as a kid. You know, we had our, our bikes on the back of a uh, wind-up um, or a pop-up caravan. And so Dad thought he – and we were driving around in a Ford station wagon. So Dad Dad thought he was like four-wheel driver and had a – but we weren't that at all. It was just very much the domestic kind of thing but, the, yeah. but still tried to go off-road and all that sort of jazz. <laughs> so we'd take our bikes riding all over the place and, you know, endless – um, hours in information centres scouring for information, and we had. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the author. There was a great bird book. Might be. Um, I think it's Brian Pizzy. I might be wrong. Um, is it? Hang on. Look, I've got it on my shelf over here. Hang on. Yeah, I can see it. The field guide. The field guide to the birds of Australia. That's what it's called. And we had a copy. I've got a new copy now. That it's funny. You know, <laughs> that I get, my kids are now starting to look through that because I remember. One of the things of that trip, we with it lots of hours in the car, we'd get this bird book out and go through and create lists of all the birds we'd seen and could it have been that one? Oh let's check the map as their migratory area, that's where they'd live and all that sort of jazz. So um yeah, there's all sorts of cool things like that that we used to do. So um I think that what we, we'd come across other kids that were doing their parents say, Come on into the van, time to do your your learning by correspondence or by distance ed or whatever. We didn't have any of that. So <laughs> mum just gave us all a journal and said write down you know whatever you um you know would do observe from the day or kept like a little diary and we'd cut and paste all the information we'd find from our trip and, and travels and stuff like that so that was really our learning and 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 the sharing of the stories and and i think by the end of it all the kids there were four of us oldest brother would have been 10 10 or 11 and the, my younger sister would have been about uh three i think at the time so we we got to the stage we could set up the caravan and do all that without Dad being around, so that was our big, yeah, <laughs> our big accomplishment by the end of the six months. So yeah, it was a pretty cool trip.
0: Ah, oh, fantastic! Yeah, because it was, was it like a Jaco thing where the, the yeah yeah the rooms yeah. pop out yeah, so spawn or something like that. Oh, yeah, perfect! Yeah. So, yeah, you've got to get it right though because you don't get those supports in and you're going south uh, in the you know, in the middle of the night holding
1: <laughs> holding things up under the you know holding those things the beds that would slide out and making sure you had to get them in the hooks just yeah the right way and. You know, and you'd hear, you know, there'd always be a moment of or days here, and their parents swearing and cursing that something hadn't wound up properly or fridges <laughs> flung open during the trip. Mum had this ingenious system of, um, if we were driving on corrugated roads, she'd just put the washing in uh, <laughs> a plastic bucket with soap and water, and then by the time we got to the destination, that would basically work like a washing machine. That's good. Cr- and <laughs> hang them out so you as know, long as the lid I,
0: didn't pop off.
1: Yeah, exactly. I don't think that had ever happened. So, um, yeah, so they'd, they'd come up with heaps of cool little little tips and tricks too. And you, I guess you, as a kid, you learn from that. So um, I think there's definitely lots of little things like that, That not that we've ever sort of – we're not amazing adventurers ourselves at this point in time, but, um, yeah, there's all that stuff that you learn from.
0: Oh, fantastic. And so that was the six-month trip. When you went into uni, you obviously studied music at uni, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I had a sort of a bit of a broken journey. So I started out doing an arts and engineering degree. I think engineering lasted about two weeks, much to the dismay of my father, I think. So um, I did arts for a year and then sustainable tourism development, switched unis, did a bit of this and a bit of that, and then went and worked for a year. Again, that was in railways sort of stuff um, before I, and just doing administration sort of work before I then decided to make the, the, the full full jump into music. So um, yeah, and studied did a a two-year advanced diploma at what was nmit at the time but now melbourne polytechnic and then that sort of transitioned into an arts degree at rmit in music industry studies so which was cool because you got a chance to meet music business people and other artists and all sorts of people that were interested in pursuing careers in music so
0: yeah and it goes without saying that i think you had the coolest job when you're at uni (laughs) <laughs> also one of the best paying by the sounds of it
1: oh uh, this is the clown gig you're talking yeah. about yeah i was a cl- yeah had a, a little bit of a part-time job as a clown um which was great the money was fantastic as a uni student it was hard work and hot work and you had to like navigate you do all your makeup and then you jump in the car to go to a kid's party or a festival or a fête or something like that but you'd be driving around and i was driving a light blue sigma station wagon like with the velour <laughs> interior and everything yeah. so it was kind of like a it was a bit of a clown's mobile, but um, yeah, you'd pull up at the traffic lights and people would look at you and you'd look back. It's <laughs> sort of, yeah, they'd just be shaking their head or whatever, thinking literally, who is this clown next to me? Yeah, so, yeah, um, but it was good fun, you know, and you know, you learn some skills from that too. Like I can juggle now, which is a really useful skill. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> no,
0: no, no, but I, yeah. I imagine you've actually busted some of these things out in your teaching role now
1: uh yeah there's a few there's a even few if it's moments, just the please. confidence
0: of like working a crowd
1: yeah i guess there's that although the juggling has come in zone we had a uh, a um we have a retreat with our senior students at the start of the year and last year there was a call out to teachers to say what could we do as a bit of an activity to break things up a bit and so we ended up like i you know youtube all these great things so i was like i don't want to buy 250 juggling balls for kids you know so we found a way to make them doing the little rice and balloon wrappers and things which obviously it's not very environmentally friendly but you know it worked at the time and we had 150 juggling balls pretty quickly and then teaching kids how to juggle but tying it into like once they learn how to juggle working in teams to help each other and observe each other and then linking in with mindfulness activities because it can be quite a mindful practice when you're juggling Yep. you know, you get just get into the zone a little bit, and um, so it's like a nice little meditative distraction. So, um, and is, is and that good- because
0: you're so focused on one thing, you can't actually, you can't concentrate on anything else?
1: Yeah, it's a great way to clear your mind. So, you know, if you're if you're just sort of going left, right, left, right, looking at the center ball or whatever you're doing, your mind is really focused on that one one thing. So, um, it's a very easy way to, or I find it a very easy way to forget about what else is going on and just be right, really present in that moment of juggling. Wow.
0: Yeah. Do you use any other, do you have any other sort of mindfulness practices?
1: Uh, I mean, as a teacher, you pick up on a few because you programs come into schools to work with students and young people and that sort of stuff. So I've dabbled a little bit in the resilience project apps um, that those guys have have produced. Um, And I've done a lot of, as part of a leadership program I was doing this year in a community leaders setting, um, a lot of journaling, and all that sort of jazz too so where you just spend time sort of reflecting on things and then you know i think that's a good way to get things out of your head so Mm -hmm. you can just sort of um be find a bit of calmness at the end of the day
0: would would that be like the five minute journal questions in the morning so you know sort of what are you grateful for what would make to get today great yeah that that sort of thing
1: yeah there's a little bit of that and i think to come coming from that gives you a chance to um to if you've got a if you clear your head a little bit, my experience is that's for me, that's when your best ideas come too. So if you're looking for new ideas and you want to sort of try new stuff and you're trying to be creative with solutions to problems and stuff, while you're in a really busy zone with lots of the little minutiae of the day going on here and there and stuff, um, it's hard to find those solutions. But it's amazing what happens when you clear your mind of all that stuff, how a solution can just pops into your head and presents yeah. itself. So.
0: so would it be first thing in the morning then that you bust out the journal?
1: Uh not, not really. My morning, I'm not a morning person, <laughs> Rich, sorry. <laughs> if you wanted to go somewhere with that, sorry. No, 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 that's okay, because being a parent, yeah, I my, <laughs> completely get that. <laughs> yeah, end of the day is probably my, my most productive journaling time. Um,
0: that's the only time you get to yourself, basically. Yeah, a little bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Um, so that's, you know, it's it's handy to, to do that at the end of the day and, and then start the day fresh and do yeah, there's still a little. I've still tried to practice a little bit of that mindfulness stuff in terms of you know and growth mindset attitude to to look at how you view the day in the morning and um, how you can put a positive spin on things just by that that sort of self talk or, or your awareness of of the things that are around you and being self aware. I think that's a pretty a pretty cool skill to have, and you can definitely my experiences you can definitely get better at it and practice it and. And help that to have a positive impact on your life and how you view things.
0: Can you talk us through how you'd actually do that?
1: Yeah. I mean, some of the growth mindset practices, it's just a simple thing of, you know, for me, when I wake up in the morning, it's just going, okay, what am I looking forward to today? Those same questions. What are you grateful for? Um, And looking for the positive stuff in your day as opposed to sort of walking around that fog of, oh, that's annoying me. Things are getting (laughs) me down. You know, if you're looking for the stuff that's going to get you down, well, you'll find it easily. Yeah. Um, and I think there's always plenty of that stuff going on. But if we practice that positive speaking, looking at how we can be, um, we can have a positive influence on the people around us. I think that's a that's a good way to do it. And it's that simple thing of just saying, you know, how we how we curious of the world and. You know, looking at things from a curious perspective rather than rather than a, con, a critical perspective all the time, which in our culture I think happens a fair bit, where it's easy to be critical, um, but to be curious is probably much much more challenging for people.
0: Yeah, um, definitely, and you would stand out having that sort of attitude as well.
1: Yeah, not all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Earlier tonight, <laughs> she's like <laughs> getting cranky with technology. Um, you know, then yeah, not always the way, but you know, we're you, only human, right?
0: Yeah. So. <laughs> the um, what you said about the the way you're thinking about certain things and and that sort of garners your well focuses your attention on them, and and you know that's what you what you look for and, and generally find. I I had an interesting situation with a friend who is one of those people that has an incredible memory. And it wasn't until we were playing Trivial Pursuit or something like that and I overheard him say, it'll come to me in a minute, you know, and that was the the way he talked to himself about it, whereas I at the time was like, oh, I don't know, know." you know, like, and I was just telling myself, reaffirming that I don't know him, so I guess my brain was kind of switching off and I started playing around with it and it actually works or it seemed to work because I changed... And, and just tried that approach and, and I don't know whether the questions got easier or something, but your brain just seems to hang on a bit longer and work through it and and get to the answer rather than just sort yeah. of give up because you've told it it's okay to give up because you don't know the answer. Just that yeah, whole, I, oh, it'll come to me in a minute.
1: I guess it's that um, self-awareness that we've got and as, you know, if you can evolve your self-awareness and your emotional intelligence to look at a point, of just, you know, and that's one of the things that I've been – um I guess, encouraged to explore this year in one of these leadership programs that I've been doing, um, a program called Leadership Great South Coast. And we had a fantastic facilitator by the name of um, Corinne Armour, um, who um, is, you know, really encourages you and uses a lot of metaphors to sort of help explain that and and encourages people to sort of delve into that, that self-awareness and think about how you how you interact with other people and uh, um that the concept of you know if you if you're trying to solve problems or work with teams or um, navigate your own thinking, um, what perspective do you come from, and how do you how do you ask those questions and um, navigate your your way to solutions and answers?
0: That leadership program. What what actually got you on that in the first place? What was the the impetus?
1: Um, I'd heard about it before in the community. It's been around for about seven years in our region. And some people done some people involved have done some really cool projects and different things linked to it. And I went when I applied for the for the program, I was uh, I'd already had an 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 idea in mind, and that was to pitch. You got an opportunity basically to pitch an idea um, for the year that that a project team would then work on with you. So there's about 18 participants, and so they you know those that want to pitch an idea can pitch an idea, and then everyone votes to see what ideas would get up, and you run with those projects for the year with your teams. And so I pitched the, the trying to kickstart Cycling Without Age in Port Ferry. So and Cycling Without Age is a, a project that um, comes from, comes out of Denmark. So, uh, And it's just a, really about connecting people in the simple act of riding a bike that otherwise mightn't be able to get on a bike because they might be older or fragile or living in residential care and that sort of thing. And um, so I pitched the idea and, and it, it got up, which was great, and a team of uh, four other wonderful people. Um, came on the journey to to help get that started in Port Ferry, which is really cool.
0: But can you actually describe the bikes? Though it's not like you get a, you get someone from the retirement home and put them on the back of your bike to ding them along <laughs> the road. <laughs> they're not, <you> know, they're,
1: <laughs> no, they're pretty cool. They're um so they're known as a trishaw, and they they I guess they're a bit like a rickshaw. Um, but the passengers are sitting on the front, and the the pilot, as it's known, or the person riding the bike, is sitting on the back. So um so you've got like a little, it's like a little couch on wheels, basically. So, uh, it's got a, the, the model that we've got is a few different models, but the model we've got has a little removable step, which makes it easier for, for people to shuffle, shuffle backwards into sit down and then raise their legs onto a step where you can put your feet it has a little blanket and a hood and all those little luxuries. Um, and yeah, and it, it's, it's got a little, it's basically like an e-bike. So you've got a bit bit of power assist to ride around and, and it's, it's a really, a really comfortable way to travel on a bicycle or a trishore as it's known in, and and experience the outdoors. And um, one of the sayings is, you know, feeling the wind through your hair for the for this for this program, and it's it really does that and allows for great conversation. The the rider's quite close to the to the passengers, so and it's designed to just you know you're going slow. You're not you're not in a race to get anywhere. It's really all about the experience as opposed to it's not a taxi service. You, it's about sharing time with people and and being in the outdoors together.
0: Yeah, and it really sort of came about from sort of more elderly people or, or people that couldn't cycle anymore didn't it in Copenhagen and the ability yeah. to sort of you know continue that because it's one of the best forms of transport It's the, one of the most fun anyway
1: yeah I mean in, you you go to all those uh fantastic destinations in Europe that are really cycling cycling friendly and and and, and that's the way to get around I guess so um you know that culture already being there um, really helps. I think it's probably a challenge in some ways in Australia because we uh, different parts of our country are um, have the history of, of cycling more than others, and also then embrace cycling a bit more than than other places. We've I know you know we've got a a really a really strong cycling club in our small town of three thousand people that have some amazing guys that have um ridden in all sorts of things encourage young people so it's you know it's a club of, of that real inter- strong intergenerational connection with people riding and their kids riding and um and racing professionally but equally getting involved in events like the Murray to Moyne which is a great fundraiser um for for um for for the Moyne health services and and other health services around the country that the people that enter that raise money for so some really cool um cool supporters of cycling I think which makes it easier project to start in our community
0: yeah and the actual intergenerational thing so you've got students now from the senior college that are actually uh piloting the bikes and taking uh, old age pensioners out haven't you
1: yeah that's right so what what really kickstart I mean I've got, there's a friend of mine in Geelong um Tim O'Connor who's an occupational therapist and studied at Deakin and he did some research and he's he's the one that really that really um put me put me in contact with this cycle that age movement and i started looking and thought oh this would be a great project for students to work on so um we, i sort of again pitched the idea of my students in warrnambool so we've sort of got these two projects running side by side in port ferry with a leadership team of you know people based all around the region doing this community leadership stuff and then my students who really it was on them to to set it up that was part of their learning so it wasn't just for them to be pilots but also to start the program and fundraise for their first tri-shore and build partnerships with Residential aged care providers, and and so they've done that too. And and the students, um, all credit to them. It was a really uh, long play of a of a project. <laughs> they they really had to stick it out for over a year. Um, so by the time their their tri-shore arrived, but to see to see them in action, training, um, mapping out where they were going to ride, and then eventually getting to that that point of being able to take elders in their community for a ride, um, was just fantastic. The the, the chatter that would happen as they're riding along and the stories they're sharing and, and just the fun, you know, the sheer fun of getting on a bike yeah. <laughs> and having someone ride you along. I think you could see the joy in people's faces from both the students and the and the elders as well, which is pretty cool.
0: Oh, that's brilliant. And th- there's something about bikes anyway. They're, they're such freedom machines, aren't they?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I've done a little bit of travel um, a, 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 with organized tours and stuff on, 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 on bikes before and, it's yeah there's just something about it it's you know i i know there's probably connect it's funny that i've not thought of it like this but there's probably a connection in my life with bicycles all through my life you know and some people probably experience this you know whether it's as a kid when you're making tracks i can remember dad used to cut the grass so we could like we had a block that was three quarters an acre so you could make your own tracks and jumps and everything yeah and then you know through to you know when i was one of my jobs i had was with the the civil maintenance side of stuff was we had to uh map all the and sort of do all the stats on all the tram stops around melbourne and the best way to do that was by bike so you know i got to ride every tram route every day just you know do it stopping at every tram stop on the way taking photos and measuring stuff so that was all by bike and i'd commute by bike to work and then do a great big bike ride and you know go traveling around south of stage on a bike and now here i am in regional victoria doing this cycling with that age project thing so there's kind of this little theme i guess that i've You've only just prompted that thought. So
0: thank <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Tell me about cycling around Asia on a bike. That sounds fascinating.
1: Yeah. Uh, oh, that was. I don't know how it came about. Oh, I know how it came about. My, we got my, lost
0: my, one my, night. Then we woke up. Yeah, no, no. no. It's,
1: it's actually my dad. So he, he, and and um, both mum and dad, but I probably guess more dad. And his friends are, are, are sort of like those guys that the middle-aged lycra guys that, that found cycling and like really pumped about it. One of their, one of Dad's close friends is, um, actually, he's he's quite mad um, and <laughs> has been. I think he's even ridden in, um, he's ridden in national championship events for penny farthings. So he would he would ride all sorts of crazy bikes around, and and he's a great bloke and I think he he inspired a lot of his friendship group of their generation to go travelling. By a bike, you know, and it's a great way to travel. And they all got on board and would do all these trips. And there was one through, through going through um, uh, Laos from Luang Prabang into northern Vietnam. And Dad said, "Oh, do you want to come? Um, there's a bunch of guys. We're doing this one, but it's a bit of a harder ride. And if you want to come along, you can." And I'd, I'd heard all their adventures that they'd been doing, and was keen to go and try it. So, um, yeah, so so off we went. So it was. I think there was about ten of us. Two two of us that were. Um, probably in our l- late 20s at the time, and um, and then all these all, these, all these older guys. <laughs> That's who awesome. Were, uh, I won't say old guys. They were older guys yeah. um, who were sort of uh, semi-retired or heading for retirement or just that sort of point of their careers, and they'd done a few of these trips, and it was amazing. Yeah, we. I can remember following this guy, the guy that rode the penny farthing I can remember following him down a, a mountainside in Laos and the roads were washed out and, and he was just flying down this hill. I could barely keep up with him, but it was like that thrill of being 11 years old again and, you know, going, right, here's this big three-meter gap in a road. Do I get <laughs> down in or do I just like try and pull the world's best mono and jump over this thing, and, you know, and then a, then, a, then a buffalo comes out of the jungle from nowhere and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it was, it was a pretty cool adventure so, and learning all about that culture while well, you've got all these, all these guys that um, have experienced the world with generations more,
0: essentially, experience. like a, a bunch of uncles.
1: Yeah, it's very much like that, so um, and that dynamic too traveling with a big bunch of guys, i have never done that before, that was really especially that you know across those generations that was really interesting, so um, yeah, and good fun, really good fun.:
0: Must have been pretty special spending that time with your dad.
1: Yeah, I think so. We, you know, we we're often referred to as being quite similar. Probably all my siblings, people would say I'm most my, most like my dad. Um, I've sort of had that a lot of through my life. Probably just because we physically looked a bit like each other from when we were kids. <laughs> you know, they get yeah. the photos. Oh, look, you just like your dad. <laughs> and um, so yeah, but it, it is pretty special because I think there's only there's only so many moments in your life you have to share those experiences and. Um, to look back on, it's probably something more you treasure when you look back on it, than, yeah. than maybe what you're in at the time. I mean, it's really you enjoy it at the time and it, the experience and all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, you, I think the the older I get, the more I treasure those sort of memories. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, do you, do you have much contact with him now?
1: Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll catch up. I mean, because we're four hours apart, but we don't see that. You know, we'll catch up in school holidays and we'll take the kids up there um, to, to mum and dads and, and hang out, um, which is great. They, they're really cool grandparents. They love spending time with their grandkids and, um, dad's got a lot of energy. I don't know where he finds it, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) yeah, he's, he's, um, he's fantastic. So it's good. And, and so it's great to hang out with them. Yep.
0: Oh, that does sound good. Uh, Do you think there's going to be any other sort of epic adventures down the, down the track? Is yeah, he, he still cycling? Nice. cycling or?
1: Yeah, he, oh, I'm jealous. He cycles like maybe 250 k's or more a week. <laughs> so, um, and on his, I think it was his 63rd birthday, he rode up, they were in France, and he rode up, um, um, what's the, Mont Ventoux, I think, like one of the big big mountains, big climb, mountain climbs in the Tour de France that's often on wow. that. So he was like pretty, and he trained for that and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, he's a bit of an inspiration actually to, to think that, you know if I can be doing what he's doing in his 60s, if I can get to that, I'll be pretty pretty pleased, yeah.
0: Yeah, that sounds brilliant. <laughs> what, I mean, uh, what other sort of aspects of, of your dad's upbringing for you would you like to emulate?
1: Yeah, I mean, he, I think he's, um, he came from a very working class family um, and with, and a big Catholic family too. So, I think he just is a sort of guy that makes the most of every opportunity he's got. He's he's pretty full of life um, and can be known as being the life of the party sort of thing, <laughs> which, which is great at the party. Mum yeah. would say that's not great because he's still that way when he gets home. <laughs> 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 and, um, so if you're living with the party, it might be different than when you're at the party. A um,
0: non-stop party.
1: Yeah, but I think what comes with that is an energy and a zest for life that, you know, um, to if you, if you can give that to your kids which i think he has given to us um is a pretty cool thing and i if i can sort of even shave off a little bit of that to my kids and that that'd be a pretty cool that'd be a pretty cool thing
0: yeah. yeah and are there any actual ways that you're going about that that you're actually deliberately trying to do that
1: yeah i guess it's the thing you know like i uh, I can remember as a kid being like there's lots of things moments you remember about being taken somewhere on an adventure or to do something you know and in this day and age where there's a lot of focus on what you have as opposed to what you do um, I think if I can I always try and encourage our kids to and take them places and experience things and all that sort of stuff so um, oh, we were really lucky there was um, the MSO had some players in town only on the weekend and so there was a beautiful little musical workshop happening and walking through the market and you could hear these amazing players playing and to take our kids to that little experience you know I was thinking there was about seven or eight kids there and I'm looking I mean I'm a music educator too so I'm sort of like where is all the kids They should be like hey, kids here, this <laughs> yeah. is amazing. Um but you know I'll always look out for those things um, and we're fortunate too in the region we live in there's always something going on that's pretty cool yeah um,
0: pretty awesome but- music festival
1: yeah, yeah, all that sort of stuff. But even just to get out and explore, explore the environment that's around us, there's a lot of things to, for kids to see. And I think we forget sometimes as adults, if we can stay in touch with our, I guess that, that's well, a bit of a cliche, but the inner child, you know, and that sense of play. If we look at the world that way, when we go out and see things and you're seeing things for the first time as a kid, if you can introduce your kids to that for the first time when you see their reactions, it's, um, that's, that's usually a cool sign that you've found something and you you know whether it's a walk on a beach or down by a river or just trooping through some some long grass out the back of your house you know um that that can be as much an adventure as it is going to climb a mountain somewhere overseas or you know we uh, we had a fantastic weekend in halls gap recently took the kids up the mountain to mount william when it was snowing you know and you can fly all the way overseas or to queensland or something and spend all your money for some great experience um but you know what's in our own backyard is sometimes equally worth for for kids, that's as much an adventure, especially when they get to spend it with their parents. I think that's a that's a cool thing.
0: Yeah, oh, absolutely. The um, what what are the sort of things that your kids enjoy the most? Is it just the simple things?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it is. Um, we've been really trying to encourage Jordy to sign up for Nippers again this year. Go to you know, be in the coastal town and everything. Um, go and do the surf life-saving thing um, and. Uh, He's just like I just want to. I someday I don't want to do it. I just want (laughs) to stay at home in my pajamas, (laughs) (laughs) and I can't blame him. Like you know, that's when things are busy. Yeah, sometimes you just want to stay home and play at home. You know, play in your backyard, kick the footy around. You know, play with your stuff, do your drawings, hang out at home. So yeah, I can appreciate that.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Now, if we can take a bit of a step back because i wanted to touch on your teaching as well now because i often uh, i often look to pair uh, well teachers to get any advice from with you know sort of bringing up kids really because i think there's such a, a wealth of information that you learn as a teacher but then practice on a daily basis so because you you started off in some pretty rough schools didn't you
1: ah uh, yeah not not necessarily rough schools but um ch- i'd say challenging schools or situations yeah. especially for a beginner teacher um but and the challenges were really in i guess being new to teaching and also in 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 schools that i wasn't that familiar with but um yeah i mean you've been and when i say challenging school it might be significant diversity of learners um managing how you navigate parent teacher interviews in multiple languages with interpreters um and just finding your space in how to be a an effective teacher as well at the same time so um but i mean yeah there were some some incidences in schools that i worked in that were pretty you'd say could classify as rough um, but yeah the challenging aspect of that i think is mostly around behaviors and you know you be might be teaching in an area where um there's significantly low socioeconomic background of kids where they've got to deal with the issues and their parents have got to deal with the issues of how you get to school getting to school, juggling work, how you do all that sort of stuff that life, life is for many people, I think, that, that lots of other people take for granted. Um, but just to manage the day-to-day for a lot of those kids would have been really tough.
0: Yeah. And as a, as a new teacher, the, did you actually learn particular processes or anything to deal with that? Or was it yeah. more like a mentor thing with a teacher taking you under his or her wing?
1: Yeah, a bit of both, I think. I mean, I think that's one thing many government schools in Victoria do quite well in my experience of working in the government school system, um, you've, you've got a lot of dedicated teachers that really want to help new teachers um, learn the ropes and learn all the tri- tips and tricks that they've they've learnt. But, you know, from systems uh, like well, there's a lot of schools that have taken on restorative practices over the years. Um,
0: what what exactly is, sort is of, that?
1: So that, oh, look, I'm no expert on it, but um, the, the training that I've been through is really about getting, getting kids to the point where they can acknowledge their own behaviours and um, sort of take ownership of their decisions and, and separating out, you know, it's when, when you're trying to help them through those behavioural challenges in class situations that getting them to separate, you know, you're not having a personal attack on them when you're asking them for change or that something's not working, but to recognise their behaviours, how it impacts other people, how it impacts the relationships they have with people and how they can change that situation so they don't fall into a pattern of, of poor behavioural choices, um, which I think is the case for many you know, for many young people, that's a real challenge. And you, as a child, you're, all, you can only really go on many things often from what you see in front of you. So, you know, as teachers, we're always challenged where, you know, being observed all the time. So uh, the same way your kids would, would see parents, parents engage with the kids, you know, if you're, if you're on your phone all day, well, then your kids are naturally probably going to want to be on a device. Yeah. That's what they see you do, you know? Um, so, and that same way in, restorative practices encouraging young people to have a conversation about their behavioral choices um, letting them know it's okay to make mistakes and then making sure they're able to repair those relationships if there's damage done because of, of poor decision making that they've made and and then be able to have a positive outcome to move on.
0: yeah and, I, I'm really curious Could you research. give us a, a bit of a say an example almost yeah of-
1: I mean one of the schools one of the schools I worked in had quite a structured system and approach which is what that restorative practice system is so there'll be scripts for teachers to follow. Um, and so there's an incident in a classroom where a student um, is, you know, having some sort of behavioural issue going on, or with whether it's with the teacher or another student, you might pick them up on that and follow a series of questions through. Or and if it gets to a point, they might have to be um, asked to step out of the classroom so you can have that conversation separately, out of sort of earshot of all the other kids, and you know, going through a series of questions where it might be, you know, what do you do? You realise why we've got to have this conversation separately? What's just happened? Um, do you realize the impact it has on other people? How can we change that? What could we do to fix it? And then, if the student can identify those things outside of the space of the incident that's just occurred, it's a chance to sort of cool the jets a little bit and say, Oh, yep, I've realized that was wrong. I could have done this better. Um, or you might help the student through that process, but it definitely getting them to self-reflect on that yep. process and, and see what that, and then re-enter the classroom. Or if it all falls apart still, then there's systems in the, in place that you can follow through where the student might then go and follow another series of questions in another room with another teacher um, to follow through on that before they can then sort of come and reintegrate back into the classroom. So, but very much, I mean, that the word said, all. restorative practice, it's about trying to restore the relationships so that the teachers and students can work together and, and make sure those, behavioural choices that students are making are, are good ones. And
0: you mentioned that it's it's not got to focus on punitive action, has it?
1: Yeah, so it's not like, oh, that's it, you know, after school detention. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's very much about having a conversation and separating out the the behavioural decisions of the student from, from the person that they are, making sure they understand that you're not judging them as a person, but you're identifying that the behavioural choice they've made wasn't a great one. And how can they then fix it for next time? Because we only, as we learn, we only learn from our mistakes, right? So yeah. um, that's where the best learning occurs usually. So if we can help students learn behaviorally. I mean, it's the minefield of teaching. I never anticipated when I was training as a music teacher that all of a sudden I was going to need to know all this stuff about <laughs> how people's <laughs> minds work, <laughs> let alone you know the mind of a 12-year-old you know, or when five 13-year-old girls rock up at your office as a year eight coordinator and are like, screaming that someone's posted something on social media and what are you going to do about it? And <laughs> it's the end of their lives and the world's collapsing, you know. So, um, you know, there's all these things you've got to navigate as a teacher as well, I think. And it's, yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see how that that transpires, you know, the bringing, state government's bringing bans on mobile phones now to schools next year. And I've just been watching all our, our teacher leaders sort of um, present that news to the students as they leave for, <laughs> leave for some <laughs> day, giving them the word up. So wow. it will be interesting to see what impact that has. You know, hopefully that will have a positive impact. I don't know how it will go with us. So that's across
0: with... the whole of Victoria?
1: Yeah, so state schools are, are making that ban and because they have to. They're mandated by the government. Um, and we're a Catholic school, so we're just following we're just following step, and we've done that. You know, the school surveys parents, talks to students to get the student voice in the decision. Um, but I think in a in a smaller regional area, if you've got all the schools following the same the same rule, that makes life a lot easier for everybody. Yeah. Um, for that consistency. So, yeah.
0: Wow, that's going to be so huge. that
1: Yeah, I mean, there are some some young people who are really attached to their phones. So, I uh, as a parent who, um. You know, you try and manage screen time for kids at the same time as making them digitally literate, so they understand what technology is and how to use it properly. Um, I think it's a it's a it's a good call from what I see in classrooms, because I know a lot of teachers and parents too struggle to struggle to integrate technology in a responsible way for students and help them manage it. And if you're not doing it consistently, then maybe this is the the approach that's got to take. So it'll see how it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I hope it doesn't get to a point where. Um, that mobile technology just kind of is discounted altogether in education because I think there's great value in it, apart different to say laptops or other things. But um, yeah, if we if the system is not working, which it's not at the moment for students, yeah, then it will see how it goes. I think it'll, it'll probably be a bit of a, an underground, <laughs> the black market in <laughs> secondhand phones, <laughs> might <offer something>.
0: yeah. <laughs> you can guarantee. Yeah, yeah. But so, it, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because I mean, even as well, speaking from my own experience, it's so addictive having a phone that you hear a ding and it's like, oh, I've got to check that. You know, like yeah. that could be something important. And you know, chances are it's it's nothing important at all. And yeah. and just having that temptation there when someone's in a classroom setting, it's just I can see how it would be so distractive.
1: Yeah, but it's interesting you say, like, classroom setting. Like, what's a classroom setting these days? Like, what I try and make my classroom, if you walk into it, that it's not what my, most people would think a classroom is, you know, not rows of chairs and desks and me at the front of the room, you know, guiding all what's going on and stuff. So, um, I think classrooms, yeah, class, we're still catching up. We're a long way behind in education. Um, my thinking, and this is my personal view, is that, you know, we need more. Um, more options for students to to take on. You know, we've got in in our regional area, we've got a lot of secondary schools, but really, how different are they? You know, if if you want to send your student to a or your son or daughter to a school that offers something different in a different way, whether it's right at one end of like what John Marsden's doing with the schools he's set up, or or whether it's a Montessori school or a you know a school that runs an IB program, the um, International Baccalaureate. You know, if we don't have those options for students to learn to suit their needs. Um, then we're probably not doing them justice in terms of what, what we're offering. Yeah. But I don't think, you know, the system is not set up to do that. It's not set up to offer all these flexible options because we're just looking at like how do we educate <laughs> thousands of kids yep. at the same time.
0: And it's certainly not set up to iterate really quickly or as fast as technology is developing.
1: Yeah, and, you know, we've got primary schools and secondary schools. So, you know, what happens at one and then kids move across which school do you choose when you're going from one to the next, and how that all changes? And yeah, so our, our I think, um, yeah, we're still trying to keep up. I think there's some significant change. I'm hoping in my, in in the next, uh, who knows how long? I don't want to be a teacher forever, but it'd be nice if, uh, in in the next ten years, that we start to see some significant change in the structure of our education system.
0: Well, what Just, would you suggest? What, what sort of things do you guys talk uh, about in the staff room?
1: Look, I think. Um, I think our focus on testing and using that data to dictate every, you know, a lot of decisions that we make. I, I don't think is the right right way. We need to collect data. Data is important to tell us how we reflect things, but uh, there seems to be a disconnect between that collection of data with things like NAPLAN and then at the same time as looking at the story behind every student and how we map what they need. You know, there's those classic cartoons that go around about saying um, with the the elephant and the fish. In the fish pond and the monkey, and telling them all to climb a tree, and you're going to assess how they go. You know, so
0: I've uh, not heard that one. Can you describe I mean, that? Uh,
1: it's the link. To it. There's uh, it's an Einstein quote or something like yeah. that. You'll have to get it up. I can't remember. I <laughs> never get. I'm not. I'll put it in the point. show notes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know, it's basically saying you where know, one size doesn't fit all, and yeah. if we you know if you're doing standardised testing, that has its limitations. I mean, sure, it might have its place, but. I think we put a lot of emphasis on it at the moment, and there's an interesting national conversation going on with um, the, the the two major bodies that we've got: AITSL, um, which looks after the teaching standards. I think there are the uh, federal body and state body, um, ACARA, or the other way around. And state state education ministers across the country are meeting Alice Springs to talk about their future and whether they like merge them and just keep it under a federal model, and that constant political like, conversation about it should education being the federal sphere or the state sphere and how that works, you know, it just gets very muddled up and at the end yeah. of it you've got all these young people that are trying to navigate their learning um, and, and having valuable learning opportunities that you want to be, um, that needs to be equitable in Australia and I think the kind of country we are means that it's, it's hard to, which some communities are still finding that really hard to do. Some very clever people in our country with education and I don't think we celebrate them enough sometimes that are doing some really cool projects whether it's connecting communities i think that's a big strong part that we could be looking at more how you connect your community to your school um and and encouraging learning to happen wherever it's needed in the community so if young parents need help then you bring them into the school because that's where the learning happens and if if um if adults need assistance too well, then the school operates when it needs to operate to do all those things and, Um, So you're really educating your whole community and bringing everyone along for the ride and valuing education, valuing the school, valuing the teachers and all that sort of stuff. Um, I think that, you know, might be a bit of an idealistic way to look at it, but there are some people in the country that are doing that stuff really well. Um, I think it's just a shame sometimes we seem to focus that on uh, where there's areas of disadvantage. I don't know why we can't have that model where there's no disadvantage. Yeah, Yeah. You know, are we implying that... People that are, you know, uh, more well off or that are willing to pay $25,000 for their kids' education a year don't need to be engaged in that learning process with their kids or with the school and the local stuff. I think it probably would might help our society if they were, you know, rather than uh, potentially shipping their kids off to an expensive boarding school or, or you know, while they go and chase a dollar.
0: Yeah what would be the outliers as in what would be the the stand sorry outstanding schools or pro, um systems that you've heard of them doing that
1: uh look there's some really there was a recent episode on um on the abc on on a story of a principal up on the um north new south wales coast i can't recall the name but that he you know he's he set up a school that really is uh, one of those schools that's a model of um having a space for for secondary age students that might have um, um, become pregnant and had kids, and so they're not just disconnected from the education system. They've got a space to return to, but also that's linked to childcare um, and has all those sort of elements of their learning needs addressed to match their day and what their day might need, as well as having the flexibility of kids to, to, you know, access different types of learning and, you know, schools that – and lots of schools are doing the common things now, whether it's having – Support networks for breakfast clubs and all that sort of stuff, but I think it's going beyond that and looking at. Um, oh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. There's a few, a few really good schools around that engage kids in vocational learning opportunities, but tied in to their to their school program, and that might connect through onto weekends where there's weekend sport. So while there's weekend sport having on a Saturday morning, um, the kids that are doing hair hair and beauty are like working in the school salon that's based at the school with hair appointments and the cafes running so they're serving coffees to the parents who are dropping their kids off at at sports and all that so you know it's it's every opportunity that you can pump a learning experience into you do
0: yeah Um, and it's a real situation
1: yeah Yeah, exactly so rather than trying to mimic all those things you've just got it happening um and look like i said i'm no expert so i've visited a few different schools there's a, a great school i visited up in um caboolture in queensland that's Doing some amazing things with vocational education, and great partnerships with a local hospital across the road, and they got kids building sort of these um, racing car chassis and dropping engines in, and you know. Um, but you've got you've got experts from industry connected to those schools as well, so you know you're not you're not relying on teachers that are sort of just fumbling their way through something. You've got people who actually know. Um, I think Tim Minchin made a great speech at um, the performer at. at um, I think it was University of Western Australia, one year to graduates. It's on online. You can look it up. Yeah, and um, he talks about everyone being a teacher at some point in their life, just to share the knowledge and experience that they've learnt. And I think that would be a cool thing, you know, if you can if you learn something, share it with someone.
0: Yeah, and it's often and the way, isn't it, when teachers start later on, like yourself, you've had a bit of experience outside the education yeah. system, and you can actually yeah. take that back into a school setting, and yeah. be uh, have a much more colourful sort of spread of experience to share.
1: Yeah, I think um, that I think there's some advantages to that, the definite advantages because you've got something to lean on. I think the advantages of the people who've come straight out of say university straight in and might be less experienced in life. They've got all those years to like hone their craft at being an educator, so um, which maybe is a challenge to them. If you're 10 years into education and you haven't honed that skill, uh, maybe you could be thinking about whether that's the
0: right place to be <laughs> time, time to take some long service leave and go traveling <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe that's, what's there. that's the point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's there a, yeah it's a reboot yeah yeah so w- from from your teaching um what have you taken back into the family brendan like have you taken any of the things you use as a teacher to being a father
1: yeah, I mean it's it permeates everything. I think as a as a parent, what you learn about education, there's a lot of links. I mean, it's like links to leadership and education, same sort of stuff. You, it, a lot of the things are just about human interactions and relationships, and and how you build positive positive relationships with people. Um, but if you ask my wife, she'd just be saying, "Yeah, he's and really annoying. He learned something at school, and then it's all intense. You know, it's all about that for." <laughs> for a week or two or however long um but i think um the things specifically that i've learned you know how you communicate with your kids how you the, some of the tips and tricks around whether it's green time interactions and um the language that you choose to use making sure you know you've got appropriate language for kids of certain ages um you know in education you talk a lot around scaffolding um people through or scaffolding students through a learning process um and without, you don't want to turn into a teacher with your kids, but you know the, those skills there in being able to show them the way, and how to do things, and and take calculated risks to learn, and let them make mistakes, and all those sorts of things. I think is um, valuable, and I think that they probably they probably exist in a bit of a, a shared space. You know, like what I bring from teaching to to being a parent, can equally flow back the other way. You know, you can learn lessons as a parent that you can then you can then see see occur at school. A bit different. I mean, I'm teaching, working with teenagers mostly. So And my kids haven't reached that stage yet. So yeah. ask me again in 10 years' yeah. time and I'll be like, oh, no, Rich, I need your do advice. What did you do? And always, yeah.
0: Well, um, the, there is a benefit, isn't it, to having friends with families at different age age groups?
1: 100%. Yeah. <laughs> I think people, that's what they should teach parents. All parents should, you know make sure before you have children, know some people who have some children slightly older than yours. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's, it's like the and you've got the, the windscreen yeah. looking down the highway so you can see the things coming.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. Just for a heads up, you know, it mightn't be that. So when things happen, you're like, that's normal, that's fine. <laughs> it's like when you first have kids, everything's new, everything's like, is that supposed to happen? Yeah, yeah that's supposed to happen. And
0: yeah. then when you have number two, it's like, ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. So,
1: so
0: I mean... Training, like obviously working with teenagers, you've got a, a few years to go. So your, your eldest is seven now. W- yep. What about looking backwards, though? What are some of the things that you think you'd do differently if you started being a parent now?
1: Um, that's a really good question. I think um, there's, I mean, there's things I, so many things I love about being a parent. And I think, uh, the, Probably there are times I just wish I could I could put more time more time into it. You know, there's a constantly that that quick blend of how much time you've got in life. I, I keep offering to my wife to say, "Hey, you know, if you want to do, you know, you can go and work some more, and I can go part time a little bit as the dad." You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she's like, "Yeah, good luck with that. How would that go?" So, um, but I think I'd like to think I'm a pretty a pretty good person on the domestic front, and probably have my time again I'd like to maybe have a, a bit more of a crack at that so um
0: especially while the kids the, are at home
1: yeah I mean I'm fortunate you know as a teacher you, you get school holidays and that's not to say you're not busy and doing work in school holidays which you always are looking for new ideas and all that sort of stuff but um it definitely gives you I think that flexibility to to spend time with your kids while you're doing that stuff um compared to say doing a crazy corporate. 12 hour 14 hour day gig where you're in an office and jet setting around the world and doing that sort of stuff which you know I've got plenty of friends that live in that world um and so I think uh, yeah I think the decisions I've made in my parenting I'm pretty happy with I don't know changing wise um it's probably about choosing to live regionally I think was a cool cool decision it, we had kids when we were here so you can't change that I don't know whether we've yeah. changed being in the city so we're closer to our friends I don't know some some aspects I think we have closer closer relationships with our friends and our, our kids therefore have better relationships with them um, growing up because when they come they come and stay and yeah. they're, they're here for a weekend or a few days and, and what not whereas in we're in Melbourne you know it might it mightn't be that same way it might be more regular but you, you know how that works it could be different so um but I think the time is the main thing, you know, how you how you manage that time and what you choose to to do. Um I'd read more to my kids. I still read we read a lot to our kids, but definitely reading reading is the king. Like just read, 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 read with your kids. Are there I, any I, it, uh, yeah, I was gonna sorry, say bro. any
0: particular stories that really resonated with the boys?
1: Oh, we, we go through books like There's No Tomorrow, like <laughs> the library and everything. Um what have our kids liked? Uh there's just all the classic books I think, you know, like there's all that sort of um those classic kids little books. I'm trying to you know, the green sheep. Where is the green sheep? Oh yeah. And all those little ones. Um you know, we the kids that I remember reading, like the Diggingest Dog that my parents read to me and Hooper Humperdink Um, I don't know if you know any of these ones. No, what I was thinking of the,
0: Harry McClary when you said that. Oh yeah, there's
1: Harry McClary dogs, yeah. yeah. The Julia Julia Donaldson books we've yeah, had because she's to go to Melbourne, we've got the audio books so I think our kids, by the time they were Julian, by the time he was two and a half, we look at the back and he's like, my God, he's reading. But he wasn't. He just heard the book so often. <laughs> he just, just
0: learned it by rote.
1: just learned it by rote, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and turning the pages at the appropriate time. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, um, I think the reading can be But, come but then
0: they'd totally pick you up and, Dad, you missed a word. And you're like, how, um, how, how yeah, did you
1: know that? The old, <laughs> Don't skip a page, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, And I think, yeah, because I think that time bit comes with having patience too. There's probably moments where I could have been more patient with my kids. You know, it's that bit where you think, ah, you know, and just cherishing every moment you've got, you know, rather than trying to speed things up. I think a lot of people fall into that trap of going, oh, I can't wait till they go to school. I can't wait to, you know, just enjoy what you have while you have it is, is is the most important thing in life because, you know, that's that we live in the moment. That's the important way to do it, I think.
0: Yeah, we're we're not very good as a species of of looking long term into the future. I think, and and the the one thing that comes across in most conversations with parents whose kids have fled flown, fled the nest, is uh, the coop? We, yeah. yeah, yeah, flown the coop. Um, so they just say over and over, I "Just wish I'd spent more time with them because it didn't last long."
1: Yeah, and I mean, you you um, yeah, when they're little, they're little. You know, it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool thing, yeah. So, um, little human beings. So, yeah, it's and it goes so fast, you and,
0: know. And like you said it's, earlier, you know, you get to experience all the cool stuff that you really enjoyed as a kid for the first time. Yeah. You get to relive that as well.
1: Uh, would tell me about it. Um, there's like my older brother. We get he's a bit the same, and I, I learned a bit from him. He he's a bit of a, a gaming nerd um so you know when you find a new board game or you introduce your kids to a game that you used to love and they can actually play it yeah you know like that's um i i get a bit yeah i'm a bit nerdy like that so what
0: are your favorite games
1: uh there's been a bit of oh we found this crazy i haven't been playing it much but we actually found an old it was in my parents cupboard there was a game called downfall oh
0: yeah i remember that
1: and and it's like safe cracking yeah, yeah, and you turn these things, and you had to get your discs in before the others, and um, but heaps of pieces have been lost. But the beauty of technology, we are able to um, three D print, three <laughs> D print some little um, the the coloured discs. Yeah. So we went on to like whatever the little website was that you can find the things, and so we like reinvigorated this crazy old downfall game that had the box had fallen apart and everything. So that was. That was a bit exciting, but uh, forever talking to people about crossbows and catapults. If you ever saw that, where you had to like knock down an opponent's game with little discs.
0: Yes, yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah, that's so old that school, isn't like it?
1: That's like a hard to find one. Yeah, yeah. Um and my older brother, for his kids, his teenage kids, he he developed this crazy den that was like teenager heaven, but kind of for him and and for the kids. <laughs> so he went and found like all these old gaming consoles. So, come, we grew up with Commodore sixty four. So he's got like Commodore sixty four and and atari and all, these other sort of, all the things yeah all the stuff oh wow <laughs> and the old crt tv so you can still make it work and everything yeah
0: and you got so, the um, old old tape cassettes that loaded up yeah. the, the games
1: yeah it's got that floppy disks and all the things that go with it so um he's yeah he's done an amazing job at raising his kids with technology and how that how that all works because um yeah i think we, we we're a generation that benefited we could keep up with the growth of technology now it's if I was growing up now, I don't think I'd keep up. You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, kids are not kids are not necessarily building their own iPhones and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, there might be other coding and stuff, but it's the rare kid I think that's out there designing an app for their phone that they can then use to go and play games with their mates and stuff. So
0: yeah, it was interesting. One of my one of my programming well friends is a programmer, and he said that. He learned to program because his dad would give him a, a crappy computer that didn't work very well and yeah. so but he wanted to do the stuff that his friends with new comp- computers could do and so he had to sort of reverse engineer and and come up with how to make this thing do what he wanted and and that was a yeah. brilliant learning environment for him he just out of pure desperation he he had to try and make this thing work uh, and yeah. and it's created a you know a great career for him.
1: Yeah, no, that's a cool idea. I love that idea. That's really cool. Yeah.
0: So, so your brother surrounded the kids with these computers in this den. And
1: yeah, it's like kind of that. He's a bit, Dan's a bit, he's, um, yeah, he's cool. He's actually, he's, he, oh, what's his book called? He wrote a book called Idolizing Children. You'd be into it, Rich, actually. Right. L- look up Dan Donahue, Idolizing Children. Yeah, you should you should have him on this podcast, not me. <laughs> <actually>. <laughs> <laughs> get Dan, get Dan to come and have a chat. Um, yeah, so he, yeah, he's he's got all these cool things, and um, he's always been a, a really good person, engaging his kids in learning and finding stuff out, and going, oh, well, I'm not going to tell you, let's figure it out, you know. <laughs> um, he's done like Lego poetry and does all these sort of crazy things. <laughs> How and, does that and, work? And Kids VR, you know, he prints words on blocks of Lego and then goes on to word festivals and helps kids make poems with the bricks with the words on them and all that sort of stuff. Ah, uh, wicked. And then post them on Instagram or whatever it is to make the the, t- the technology link. So, um, but yeah, he, they've, he's they've he got heaps, of, he does, all you know, they've got VR headsets at home doing all sorts of quirky things and, and crazy stuff. So he's a pretty creative guy too, yeah.
0: Yeah, I bet your kids love it when they go over there as well.
1: Yeah, it's always good fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. all the kids <laughs> love it. <laughs> no, we do. There's always a game. There's always a new board game or something that we all sit around and play, which is really cool fun. So yeah, yeah. Ah, it's yeah. fun.
0: Uh, I think because we 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 picked up an old just snakes and ladders the other week. It was a yeah. shop or something, but it's a really nice wooden version. So ah, oh, this is great. Took it back home, and it was interesting because one of the nights the two younger kids were out with grandma and it was just Annie the eldest with you know, Sarah and myself and we just started playing snakes and ladders and we thought you know Annie be well past it but um she really loved it and the fact i think that she was just playing with both of us at the same time it was yeah. it was really good like two on one time uh, and yeah. and it's so difficult to actually provide your kids with that when you get you know two three kids but um yeah. she definitely really came to life while we were playing it was, it was really good fun
1: yeah, games. Are, I think games. You can't beat games for that sort of stuff. It's pretty cool just to just to hang out. You know, everyone's. It's it's a great human interaction because while you're playing, yeah, you're playing a game, but you so the interactions and all those little things that you're doing yeah. as well and learning stuff together. Like if you get a new game with your kids and you don't know how to play it, you know, by the time they're I don't know in my experience by the time they're six or so, they're already tearing out instructions and telling you what's yeah what's what, how <laughs> correcting, to go, correcting you the, it the wrong way and yeah yeah. You know, so, so you become as much a learner as they do and they become the teacher then too. So, which is a cool thing. Yeah.
0: yeah. And, and even some of the games they make up themselves, like they'll come up and say, oh no, there's this game and they try and explain yeah. the rules and oh, I just.
1: Yeah. I, we've I, had recent games of Rummy Cub and what else? Um, there's a game, a great game called Cogs as well. That's one worth looking up. Right. Which just, you know, and the kids, cause they're sort of colors and numbers games, you know, Rummy Cubs like that, you know, getting sets of numbers and whatever, um, it, Kids just, especially Julian being four, you just make up There's just rule. He's just got rules, you know, just got to make one to (laughs) ten. That's the rule, Dad. Just get a number, one to ten, and then you win.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So what was COGS? Is it COGS? Um, It's
1: like a little strategic game. So it's uh, a cool one with like sort of coloured pipes that you can connect in. So you sort of – the board is made – it's one of those games where the board is made up of the little pieces. So every time you play it, it's slightly different. Yeah. And and you sort of put a piece down and take a piece off to to match up colours. But it has a quirky strategy because you, you you're trying to score all points for the colours you put down, and um and basically your your lowest piece on your little counters of colours is is the one that dictates where you're at. So you can't sort of leave one colour behind. I'm not explaining this very well, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's hard on, on on a podcast to make yeah. people this. <laughs> yeah. but, um, but yeah, basically it's it's sort of a all your pieces have to move along the board. If you leave one behind, well then that's your undoing because that'll be the piece that makes you lose the game yeah so, so it's not about being the furthest so the strategy is a bit a bit different for you to, to mess around with so my dad as an engineer finds it very frustrating he can't <laughs> beat this because he just he's like oh <laughs> <laughs> so yeah
0: and that's if you can get him to sit in in one space for yeah 15 minutes
1: well that's it that's it yeah <laughs> Okay, yeah. so
0: um, I think um, you've yeah, taken up loads of your time, Brennan. Is there anything that you wanted to throw in as a sort of a, a last thought? We
1: haven't, we haven't even talked about beekeeping. Well, you
0: said so. not to. <laughs> yeah. Let's not go
1: there. Otherwise- <laughs> <laughs> no, no, yeah. come on then, straight into it. So This could be, a two- this could be one of those two like, parts. Two-far. It's a twofer, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. don't get me starting on beekeeping either. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 so just tell me.
1: I'm gonna say, if, if people want to, people want to look at learning with kids. I reckon beekeeping. Go and explore that because, yeah, there's heaps of things you can learn with your kids about beekeeping. So it is
0: that, a deep. Is all I said at, it is it is a it is a deep deep hole. Like you can, yeah. I I'm only just scratching the surface, and we, we've been going what two years now, and done a fair bit of reading, and still feel a long way off.
1: Yeah. And reading, it's like any good thing. You can yeah, you can learn it from a book, but you know, in applied learning, you got to go and do it eventually. You uh, do I, it.
0: I reckon you got to do ride alongs. You you got to stand next to someone when they're doing it. And then yeah. they get you to hold the things and put them down in a certain. Just going through the hive, like how to yeah. do a, a proper inspection, but yeah. make all the bits go back in the right order. When you've got like ten thousand of these things flying around you, and you're highly aware that things yeah. can turn pear shaped pretty quickly. Yeah. See,
1: I've got your, I've got your style on. <laughs> now, <haven't> I? <laughs> I don't know. What, I don't know where not to go there because
0: <laughs> because you you've done it at the school, haven't you, Brendan?
1: Yeah, yeah, we've done a program at school and, and that's, you know, it's, it's really cool to see students. It's another one of those activities that you do when you see students' reactions. You know, you can take the the, the rowdiest bunch of boys, 16-, 17-year-old boys, and take them down to the hive and as soon as you say, well, you know, the bees need to be need to be calm and you need to, you know, oh, what might happen? Well, they'll sting you or they'll go angry. And, you know, <laughs> you're upsetting them, you know, So, and as soon as you say that, well, you know, maybe it's the threat of a sting or something like that, but they, they're very mindful then to be, Slow and calm, and
0: oh, it actually works.
1: Tele- tele- they'll self moderate the group. So, yeah. there's one that's one of the kids is mucking around, they'll, they'll remind them and say, Hey, you can't do that, just <laughs> just go easy, you know, and all that sort of stuff. So, um, so that's been fascinating to watch as well.
0: Yeah, oh wow. And would that be a weekly thing with the kids?
1: Uh, it's a bit sporadic, it's been yeah, you um, pick the weather, I guess, exactly. And that's where you know that comes back to that model of my experience of having schools that are flexible and yeah. having different options because you know bees don't necessarily aren't happy to be to be inspected at every once a week at period three at 10 15 <laughs> when the bell goes <laughs> no that's <laughs> okay, <for inspection. laughs> yeah yeah
0: in fact any time that suits you is generally not a time that suits them weather-wise Correct. that's what yeah. i find anyway
1: murphy's law is how it goes yeah
0: so really is it a case of you look out and go hey guys pretty nice weather eh? no wind let's go and have a look.
1: Oh, you send. I'll, I'll tend to. I'll be a bit more planned than that. So I'll have. I'll have an eye on the weather and what needs to happen through spring and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. and if it turns out that it just doesn't align with when the students are there and the perfect beekeeping days there, well then I'll quickly jump into the hives and do some inspections as they need to happen so that we can still be responsible beekeepers. But um, yeah, where we can we, you know, so if if anything, our bees are probably inspected more than they need to be because yeah. I'll be wanting to inspect them, and then if the weather works out the next day and the students get in, but that's that's um yeah that is what it is I think just to make sure they're getting the learning and that sort of stuff so
0: and what sort of I'd, things I'd, what, what sort of things have you pulled out from you know beekeeping as a as an actual topic
1: ah oh, it's every you know we have students not just it's not just the beekeeping stuff like we we map it into in our Vcal program into personal development skills so very much built built around com um,
0: yeah exciting like
1: team the teamwork elements of it so because you know they're down there in, in in groups of students and they've got to be sharing their sharing their skills and working with each other to know make sure they've got everything done if they're going to work within the time frame and they've got to be ordered and organized and plan it um they've got to do all the risk assessment behind working at beehives they've got to do anaphylaxis training that goes with that um we build in other activities like doing flora um surveys around this around the, the school so they can see what you know what are all the different species of plants that the bees might be going to find um, and forage off, um, and then when you obviously when you're inspecting the hive, there's all the the standard beekeeping practices that they've got to learn to go with that and stuff around biosecurity and doing sugar shake tests, which they always find a little bit disturbing because you know poor bees are getting covered in icing sugar and shake 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 shake. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all that stuff, so. Um, don't so be
0: shy give it a good shake <laughs> yeah,
1: we'll and we've got flow hives too which are those um, crazy inventions you yeah. guys up here Byron made so the harvesting process means we can take the take the hives take the, the super off and bring it inside um, or take it to like our open day setups where we've done that before too so the students can then present what they're doing to, other, to an audience and say this is how it works and this is what it does so there's the public speaking bit and the presentation of their project that goes in with that too so it's 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 more learning than I thought it was ever going to be. There's always something new to do, and um, yeah, it's pretty endless. If we had more flexibility in our in our school's program, which is you know understandably not always easy um, at a school side of things, we you could just you could do that all day every day.
0: Well, actually, Sarah's uncle he uh, was a teacher up in well. Euroa until very recently, um, yeah. added sort of regional Vic as well, but the other direction. And he taught beekeeping at school yeah. and uh, yeah. one of his students uh, really got into it to the extent where he said to his dad, oh, I really want to be a beekeeper. And his dad sort of poo-pooed the idea. He's like, oh, that's yeah. never going to work. Get a proper job. And uh, anyway, fast forward 10 years, um, the student has now got a, a 1800 hive uh, beekeeping business. Earning no a way. fortune and employing his dad and a bunch of other guys full time. So uh... oh, that, so there's hope for me yet. Yeah, maybe one of my
1: students will go and do that and they'll invite me back. Hey, Mr. Donahue, do you want to come and be my, you know, be my slack just helper, you know. Yeah. I'll pay you 15 bucks an hour. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. Yeah, I'd love that. That sounds really cool. Yeah,
0: yeah it's, mm. it's fascinating stuff though.
1: Yeah, it is. It truly is.
0: Would you have any any word of advice for yourself starting beekeeping again?
1: Oh, so many lessons. I think like any <laughs> beekeeper, no matter how much advice you get from existing beekeepers and local beekeepers and everything, there's so much you can do wrong. You know, like we set ours up facing the wrong way and um, like uh, all sorts of different things. We did some really good things, you know, as well that I'm pretty proud of that we got right. Um, but I think, yeah, you advice is always good but you get mixed advice in beekeeping yeah. too what like is it two, two two to
0: beekeepers you get three opinions
1: yeah exactly yeah yeah so um but i do love the concept of you know that sort of the 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 beekeeper that talks and communicates with their bees and that relationship they have with their bees and you know it, it's kind of it is kind of weird cuz you know you know the bees will live for 6 weeks or whatever that's their lifespan and yeah. then they've gotten in a lot of bit but as a hive and a collective thing you know there's there's that nice thing that a bee a beekeeper you know he's looking after them and tending to them and all that sort of stuff i guess like a shepherd tends to their sheep and yeah sort of stuff so um that's kind of a nice thing to to th- that goes with it i think and, and getting kids to understand that too you know that you can look after things
0: it's a big <laughs> it's responsibility possible. yeah
1: yeah exactly and saying but it's a big responsibility but you know like anything if you give, if you give young people responsibility um that's they they often that's when they thrive and, and step up as well yeah exactly so which is you know that's another whole conversation we could have too oh. Rich, so.
0: well it's it's one of the best though when you actually extract the honey and then you know they've got you know the some buns have baked or something honey straight on it's yeah. it's like a full cycle of what we've been doing and there's the result and yeah. take, or taking a jar of honey round to the neighbours because our kids sort of pay the sort of neighbour tax so that no one uh, no one yeah, gets yeah. upset about good having beeves. and so way to do it. but yep, the kids actually t- yeah the kids taking the jar of honey round and the neighbours are like oh this is fantastic and the kids yeah. love it
1: no it is good I mean we had some issues with cross comb early days and it was full of honey and so we had to take this ideal off that was full of honey and and we had a day where the students were just cutting up all this honeycomb and it was ripe and everything so I was like well let's put in some Containers, guys, you can take it home to your parents, and and they're so the kids, a few of them are brave, you know. They're eating honeycomb straight out of the hive, you know, and they were like, "Oh, this is amazing!" You know, this is great, you know, and taking it home and telling their parents about the experience and and sharing all that sort of stuff. That's that's pretty cool, you know. If, if kids can still go home when they're seventeen and they're at school, and their parents go, oh, "How was school today?" and you get more than, uh yeah right. Yeah, <laughs> you know they can say, "Oh well, we jumped into a beehive and we, you know, had to get all the honeycomb out because it was a problem, and we ate it." And here's some here for you now. <laughs> the teacher said, "Bring it home." What you know? That's that, yeah. I think that's uh, that's a cool thing. That's a win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you aim for those days every day, but you know if you get one a term, you're doing pretty well. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> that's what it feels like parenting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You take the wins when you can get them, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then wake yeah. up the next morning and go, okay, this is how today is going to work out. Well, okay, <laughs> this is what I'm going to yeah, focus yeah, yeah. on. You
1: can never replicate those days, can you? Just no, live it when it's working, and then just <laughs> keep going with the flow. Yep.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, Brendan, I'm, you know I've. Uh, talked to you for well we've talked for ages now i've kept you longer than than we thought we would so thanks ever so much for taking the time it's been uh, it's been fascinating and uh, oh, i think no we'll we'll, yeah. we'll definitely have to do round two uh, and go deeper on bee, beekeeping
1: yeah no sounds great thanks <laughs> for the chat
0: well thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed that chat with brendan if you'd like to check out the bike program he described i'll put links in the show notes Now, before you go, if you can think of anyone that would enjoy this podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you could mention it to them. I find word of mouth is always the best way to discover new things. Okay, as ever, if you have any questions or want to reach out to me, my email is rich at thedadmindset.com. Hope you have a great week, and in the meantime, enjoy your caffeinated beverage.